Thanks for listening to another life-transforming message from the team here at C3 Southwest Washington. To find out more about our church, visit c3swwa.com. Uh, while you're still standing, we're stepping into uh, today's message, which is entitled um, Undignified. And this is a micro-series on worship. And as we've talked about the last couple of weeks, uh, the Bible is filled with individual and collective moments of worship, where people actually say, I'm going to worship God, much like what we've done. We've come together to worship God this morning. And that worship looks like something. When we engage in an act of worship, the Bible gives all sorts of different um, ways in which we can express worship or our affection to God. We can sing, we can dance, we can clap, we can pray out loud, we can shout, we can pray quietly, we can raise our hands, we can bow down, we can lay prostrate on the ground. There's the reading out loud of scripture, the quoting of scripture, the singing of scripture, there's the preaching and the teaching of God's word, there's the giving of offerings, right? And so worship for us as a church family is, is more than just something that we do. It's actually a byproduct of who we are. It's the natural response as God has done something in our lives to push back out responses of worship. And in the process, we as a church intentionally create moments where we can gather together and we can worship. Not just put on a performance, but to engage you to engage in worship where you reach beyond this room and you reach into the heavens and heaven comes close and you interact with a living God, right? Where, where we step into a moment where heaven is real here on earth. And it is. And that's a fight. There's always going to be pushback for that interaction to take place. In your life and in our corporate gatherings, I don't know about you, but I don't jump out of bed in the morning time and be like, yes, let's go worship God. I actually have to do like Pastor Rowena said, begin to stir that thing up within me. Everything wants to fight against my participation in worship, including the worship team didn't sing my favorite song. There was a pop in the sound system. There's that one guy in the front who's making all those motions that's driving me crazy. I'm standing next to somebody who knows that I'm imperfect. And if I lift my hands, I know I'm a hypocrite. And then there's the insecurities of, I don't sing well, and who will like my voice? Or maybe it's just our misunderstanding of Scripture that the Bible is filled with these examples of worship that are just that. They're suggestions. They're not actually commands. And so there's always going to be pushback against you stepping beyond that closed door and opening it into the presence of God. But what I want to challenge you is to be like David. David had pushback. And he is the iconic worshiper in all of scripture. He, all the Psalms are filled with his music, his singing, what he does as acts of worship. And yet his wife shows up on this day of worship and watches him sing out and dance before the Lord. And she makes fun of him and she mocks him. And she says, you have exposed yourself before the people. And so he says to her this phrase, he says, you think that's something? I will become even more undignified than this. He wasn't saying, I'm going I'm to act even crazier. What he was saying was, you want me to turn the volume knob down on my worship. I promise you everything in this lifetime is going to fight to cause you to turn the volume knob down on your worship. And David, when he said, I'm going to be even more undignified, he was saying, I'm turning the volume up on my worship. I'm turning my, my worship knob up. And that's what we want to challenge you to be able to do. Let me read you this verse, these verses out of Acts chapter 16, verses 25 through 26. Here's a worship moment in the New Testament. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. 
and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everybody's bonds were unfastened. And so today I've entitled this message, The Skeleton Key, okay? And we'll jump into that in just a moment. Let me pray over you. If you just take your hand, place it over your heart. I want to pray over your heart to receive God's word. Father, I thank you for each person who's here in the room today, for each person who's at home. Lord, we honor your people. We know that your word has the power to reach in and not just inform, not just teach, but Lord, your word is living and it's active and it's able to peel away shackles. It's able to pull away misunderstanding. It's it's able to strip down uh, structures of lies and unbelief that exist in our lives and allows us to experience truth. It allows us to experience you. And so today, Lord, I pray that you would teach us the power of our own personal worship. We want to be able to utilize this gift from you to us in order to step in and experience heaven here on earth. And so I pray for your, your blessing over the word today, over our hearts. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everyone said, amen and amen and amen. Give the Lord a, make it loud, okay? Just, let me hear a little bit of a shout. Let me know that you're alive. It's great to be in your in God's house and in your world today. Why don't you grab a seat? We're going to jump into Acts 16 and just kind of push into this thought a little bit farther, talking about worship, and it certainly is a part of who we are. It's not just what we do. We're always, always, even our student ministry, even with our children, uh, when our students gather together on a Wednesday night here in the building, uh, worship is always a part of what they do, prayer and scripture and speaking out loud, raising their hands, singing, pressing in and experiencing God's presence. Uh, the scripture that we read in Acts chapter 16 is uh, a fascinating portion of scripture. Paul and Silas had gone to the Roman colony of Philippi, and while they were there, they were making connections, they were interacting with people, they were doing business. They met a lady named Th- Lydia who was a, owned a business that was down by the river, and in interacting with her, uh, they actually won her to the Lord and baptized her and her family. Uh, They were going down in verse 16 to the riverside to pray again. They kind of set up a makeshift church. They didn't have a building either. Guess what? A a building's not a sign of success necessarily. It's a very valuable tool, but here they didn't have a building, so they went down to the riverside to pray. And there was a woman that showed up on the scene who was well-known in the the community that began to follow Paul and Silas around as they were doing ministry. She began to shout out, these are men of God. They are here preaching the truth. Listen to them. Now, uh, that might not sound like a bad thing. It's like good advertising that this woman is engaged in, but it was actually a distraction because these men didn't need advertising. They were looking to build relationships. And so they were wanting to step into people's lives and do business and have interactions and have a meal together and build a relationship so that they could share who God was. They did not need a great big T-shirt that says, I'm here to tell you the truth. And so this, this woman's constant interacting uh, on their behalf, loud and boisterous, became a pretty big distraction. And it began to make it difficult for them to do what they wanted to do, what they needed to do. And a moment of discernment kicked in. I would really challenge you to pray. For, if you pray for anything, pray for discernment. Uh, because in your life, there are times when you come, up, come against some obstacles, and what you see is not necessarily the obstacle. See, what they were experiencing was this, this, this woman who was loud and boisterous and causing a scene, but what they discerned was there was a spiritual element at work here trying to keep them from being successful. 
And so I would really challenge you to lean into discernment, to pray and say, God, I can see that there's an issue here, but what's beyond the surface in this person's life? What's beyond the challenge? Why isn't the money coming in? Why is this thing not working? To discover from God, because he, he's given us the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit reveals truth. And so there's sometimes what we see on the surface, and I don't know if you realize this, but sometimes what you see is not actually fact. It's not actually what's true. It's not the real problem. Sometimes people will tell you A, B, and C, and while they're telling you that, the answers actually could be D, E, and F, right? Maybe that's just in my world, but that's a reality. So this, they discern this, and so to correct it, they cast the demon out of this woman. And the demon immediately left her, but when it did, her ability to make money for her company, for her business, disappeared because she, she spoke on behalf of the dead. She was involved with seances. She was involved with witchcraft. She was definitely involved with a spirit of divination. And so when they cast that out of her, all of a sudden she was functioning correctly and no longer had that portal to the dark side of, of evil, basically. And so they found that they no longer had a revenue stream coming in. And so upset, they went after Paul, they went after Silas, they dragged him to, before the magistrates, took him before the crowd, and began to go after them because of their loss of revenue. They stirred up the crowd. Now, the crowd is a crazy thing. And this crowd gets stirred up, even though they're not involved with what's going on, but that's how crowds work. And people who know how to work a crowd, when they work a crowd for a moment like this, it was very effective. And the magistrates had them thrown into prison after they were beaten up, not just into prison, but they were shackled in the inner, uh, the most inner chamber, and there they were locked with their legs in uh, stocks. And so we see this thing go down. And while it looks to be this spiritual issue, truly it's a marketplace issue. A problem goes down for these people in the marketplace, in their business, in Paul and Silas's marketplace world as well. And I don't know about you, but when I have a problem show up in my world, I like to respond and solve it. Anybody? And so we immediately reach into our toolbox of our favorite tools that help to solve the problems that are before us. Right? And so we all have in our tool, you've got in your toolbox, you've got your, your tools. You know what I'm talking about. Something bad goes down with a relationship. Something go, bad goes down at work. Something bad goes down uh, maybe in a business venture. Maybe something goes bad uh, in, in, in whatever realm of your life, maybe even in your own physical health. And it's that moment we lean into our toolbox and we grab onto our personality or our charm, you know, that ability that we have to talk our way out of anything, to schmooze people, to make a troubling situation where everybody's happy and everybody's excited to be involved with what we're doing. Or we lean into the toolbox and we pull out our wisdom, our knowledge, our understanding for problem solving. And we go after the problem and try to create a solution. Or we lean into our relationships. Not that you've ever done this, but we know just who we can call to fix our problem. Oh, I've got a money problem. I know who I can call. I know who has money. Ooh, I've got an opportunity problem. I'll call my friend who can open the door for me in uh, opportunities. Or maybe we are able to reach into our toolbox with resources. If you have funds, if you have assets, you run really quick over there to solve whatever problem it is that you have. Or maybe it's just your hard work stick-to-itiveness. That's a skill that you've relied on to solve your problems. And all of these that I've listed out, they're definitely valuable. Keep working those things. 
You have relationships for a reason. You have resources for a reason. You have a a strong leadership personality for a reason. But I want to promise you, though these are great qualities, they are not going to unlock every locked door in your life. That's about two of you that are excited, okay? You are going to find that you don't have everything it takes to grab a hold of everything that God sent his son for your life for. I want to reiterate, every week we talk about this. Jesus didn't just come to die for your sins, although if that's all he came for, that would be more than we deserve. He didn't just come to secure a place for us after we die to step into the heavens and experience heaven. But he came to unlock heaven on earth so that you and I can take possession of all of the good things for which he sent his son for. Jesus came not just for heaven, but for heaven on earth in your marriage, in your business, in your raising of kids, in your career. He came to uh, bring life to every nook and cranny of your world. And so the great qualities and giftings that you have that you lean into, while you do need to lean into them, they will never, ever be enough Ever, 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 ever. Let me give you a couple of scriptures here that I think are really valuable. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. The word of the Lord to Zerubbabel was not by might nor by power. Now, how many of you know in in a battle, might is pretty good? I mean, if I'm going to have to fight somebody, I want Dave Densmore. I'm going to invite him quickly. I don't know if he can fight or not, but I don't want to have to fight him because he's so big, right? And so might is valuable. And I know that I've got some other friends who are trained in weaponry or whatever, or maybe you've got jujitsu skills. I'm going to invite you because you're going to be the power to help me to fight. But the scripture makes it clear that while might and power are good, sometimes it's just not enough. Your diploma is not going to be enough. The people that you know are not going to be enough. Your advice is not going to be enough. Your good problem relational solving skills are not going to be enough. Can I say it again? They're not going to be enough. They are a, a blessing, but they're limited. But there is something that's not limited. And scripture goes on to say, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Another great verse out of Psalm chapter 20, uh, verse 7, and I don't know why it says Zechariah there. It's copy and paste error on my part. But it says, some trust in chariots and some in horses. Now, this is actually written by David, the king of all of Israel. If you study scripture, David has horses, right? David has chariots. Those are great things. Don't throw them away. Take care of them. Build your army. Build your 401k. Build your knowledge base. Read books. Educate yourself. Get counseling. Work on your personal skills. Stir up your mind. Read books. Get input. Don't just, don't just say, oh, well, I'm praying about it. Look, get out there and work the ground. But after you've tilled the soil, after you planted the seed, you're going to stand there and you're going to realize all of your best efforts are not going to unlock all that God has for your life. Amen? Amen. And so David goes on to say, some trust in chariots and some trust in horses. And every time David fought, he showed up with his chariots and he showed up with his horses, but he also showed up with one more thing than that. And that really is what the heart of worship is all about. That's why we engage you on a Sunday morning. Every time we come together as students, while we challenge you at every moment, come on guys, let's worship God. And you know what? It can get a little frustrating to hear somebody coach you constantly. You heard it this morning. Come on, raise your hands. Well, I don't, I don't want to raise my hands. I don't know about you, but I don't necessarily feel my way into doing anything good. 
Rowena invited me to go for a walk semi. I can't walk as, believe it or not, she walks faster than I can actually walk. So when I walk with her, I have to run. But I didn't wake up saying, woohoo, let's go exercise. I had to be encouraged and coaxed into exercising to do the thing that I need to, that I want to. And so that's why we encourage you to step in to the thing you were designed to do, that you want to do, and that if you will do, will unlock some key doors so that you can experience what chariots and horses will never accomplish in your life. And so here's a, a statement that, that I'll, that'll make sense in a moment. Worship is actually a skeleton key designed to impact every locked door in your life. Because you might lean into a moment with knowledge, and it helps to unlock that door, but you're going to find other moments where your knowledge is not going to be enough, or an, a tool that you don't have, like relationships, might be required. And the key of knowledge won't unlock the relationship door. But there is a thing called a skeleton key. Now, many people, when they think of a skeleton key, they just think of this old style of key that's behind me. That's not actually correct. In the idea of the skeleton key, a true skeleton key is what we call a master key. In other words, in a mansion, there's all sorts of rooms. And different people who have entrance to different rooms have different keys. And so if you were the butler, you've got the key to the butler closet. But if you go over here to the finance closet, it will not open it up. But there is a skeleton key. There is a master key that is able to bring impact on any locked door throughout the entire house. I worked in a fairly large uh, church for about seven, eight years, uh, years ago, and it was wonderful when I discovered the master key because we had a ring of like 50 keys, and I found out there was a master key. I put away 49, and I kept the one. And no matter where I want, I was able to get inside of those doors. What I'm after here is for you to understand that if you bring worship to every locked door, if you bring worship into every setting, if you bring worship because of what it does, it will radically impact everything that's behind those doors. There are some doors in your life right now that have been closed your entire life through circumstances and situations, and you're hoping they'll open, you've tried to shake them, you're praying for them to open, but I, I want you to understand that intentionally leaning on that door in worship, bringing God's presence to that door can unlock that door. There's some doors in your life that are locked. You don't even know they exist. They're hidden from you. There's opportunities and giftings that are buried within you that you're not even aware of. And in a moment of worship, God whispers to you. And man, unlock something within you. You find yourself lit on fire to do some things you never dreamed you could do. There's other things that have been just, you've been locked out of them. You know why? Because the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He does not want you to experience the fullness of for which Christ came. And it could be in your, the area of your career. You're, wanting, you're, you're dreaming of the day where you can accomplish something good. And it's a God-given dream, and yet it remains locked on this earth. And you've called people, and you've submitted applications, and you've tried, and you've thrown up Hail Mary prayers. But I'm telling you, there's something different when you bring that thing into a moment where there you invite God's presence and you begin to saturate that circumstance with the presence of God. Where you grab onto your wife, maybe in a difficult season of your marriage, and say, okay, we say that we're trusting God. How are we really trusting God with this? I tell you what, let's trust God in a formal way, in a visible way, in a, uh, a way that we actually uh, perform, we act out. It's demonstrative. Because like, we can love God, but I can love God like this. 
You're going to find that if uh, you struggle with, sh- with showing affection, it is going to affect the relationships in your life. Lack of affection radically impacts babies and small children. And the act of affection impacts them, but it also impacts the giver. They receive something in return. If you want to really have a great relationship, you might struggle with, with, uh, with expressing affection, but you'll find if you say, I don't care if I struggle, I'm going to press in. That pressing in will unlock some things, right? And so when you're having a challenge with your spouse to be able to say, okay, you're praying over there in the corner, and I'm praying over here in the corner. I think you're praying, but I'm actually praying that you'll get fixed, and you're praying that I'll get fixed. It's really not a inviting God into the situation, is it? Not that you've, ever, you've never prayed this way, right? That's not how you pray for your spouse. You don't pray, Lord, fix them. They're really screwed up. You know this is true, Lord. Change them, Lord, according to your will. Really, according to my will, because that's what's going to make this thing work. But there is something powerful when you grab the hand of your spouse and you're having a problem and you call down heaven in that moment. And heaven will blow through all of your bad attitude, all of your, your frustrations, all of your personal fleshly desires. And when God shows up in that situation, it changes hearts, changes minds, and positions you then to be able to move forward on a better course it's formally bringing the presence of God into that moment, which is key. Yeah. See, worship for a lot of people is a concept that it just kind of floats in the air. I want you to understand that worship is an act of affection. There's the old stay, saying of the man who told his wife was wondering, do you, do you love me? Well, yes, I told you I love you the day that we got married. And if anything changes, I'll let you know. <laughs> that will radically impact that relationship for the negative. God is constantly pushing acts of his affection into our lives every day. And our worship is our formal interaction with God, expressing affection. And I want you to think about this. What if your spouse, intera- for those of you who are married or long to be married or are working through marriage, <laughs> I want to challenge you. What if your spouse interacted with you Similarly, in a physical way, the way that you interact with God. Snap diggity. That's a tough one, right? I have found myself, this is, I'm just being honest here, a little frustrated many, many, many years ago. Many years ago, okay? In my relationship with my wife. And as I was praying about it, oh, Steve, so you're frustrated at the thing that you, that's exactly how you treat me. Okay, so worship is a skeleton key designed to impact every locked door in life, right? And so I want to challenge you to step into formal acts of worship, to lean in. I know it's uncomfortable. I know you don't think you're good at it. I know you think you're not worthy of doing it. It feels weird. It feels awkward. But you need to see this as your expression to God. And not just here on a Sunday. The reason why I want to create the environment for you on a Sunday is so that you learn to do it. But what you'll discover is these are things that you would do in your own personal life as well. I mean, it really should be that you raise your hands in your worship time with God in your home. It's not just a Sunday thing. 
and that you actually pray out loud at home and that you pray out loud for other people and that you lay before the Lord or that you bow or you, that you, you clap. I mean, I know it sounds crazy and your neighbors will think you're nuts, but they already do. They already think you're nuts, okay? So let's give them some good evidence. Open the curtains wide like Daniel did and pray to the God of heaven and do what you need to do to express your love. I love Acts chapter 16, verse 25 here. It's, as we looked at it already, it reveals a couple things that I think are, are super, super cool and super instructive for all of us. It says about, Paul, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the prisoners were listening to them. Beautiful portion of scripture. I want you to notice a couple points about this that are pretty, pretty impactful to me. Um, no disrespect, ladies. I'm not meaning this in a way that is contrary to you. But what I love about this moment for these two men is that this moment of worship was, was about as manly as it gets. I love that there's two men who are leaning forward and leading the way in worship. I love to have everyone involved with worship. doesn't matter if we have students, if we have children, if we have men, if we have women, we have super talented people, people who are growing in their talent. But there's something to be said about a man stepping out, strong, deep voice, grease underneath his fingers from his work this week, if that's what he does, and in that masculinity, worshiping God. Somehow in our culture throughout the last hundred years, we've turned God's house uh, to, to look very feminine, and we've created this very feminine side of worship. Not that that doesn't need to exist. It should exist. But there needs to be a balance because worship is every bit about men as it is about women. Amen? Yeah. And if there's anything that I've heard from wives throughout the years, it's not that I wish my husband made more money or I'd be more proud of him if he drove a, drove a, a more jacked up truck, right? right? I mean, we're to the point where we need stilts to get into our vehicles at this point. Never been off road, but we got four foot lift, right? Um, <laughs> what do, why do we, can we just, can I just stop for a second? We got trucks jacked up. That's the first people buy a $75,000 truck, put a $5,000 lift on it, and that thing ain't going off-road ever in its lifetime. Lucky if it comes out of the garage. It can't get dirty. Anyways, I'm sorry to press that button. Um, why did I throw that in? It's, it is, there's something that's, that's incredible about men worshiping God. And not that all others worshiping God aren't critical, but men, I want to challenge you to worship God, to sing out loud. Nobody's measuring you hitting all the notes. There's just something powerful about a young man worshiping God and an older man worshiping God. It impacts the people around them. Second thing is I noticed that their worship was demonstrative. How do we know? Well, because this, this story's in the Bible. I mean, if it had all happened in between their ears and in their heart of hearts, deep down in the heart, my heart of hearts, I love God with all my heart, strength, soul, and mind. That's a beautiful place. That's the place it's supposed to start, but it's supposed to make its way out. My love for my wife starts within my heart, but it sure had better make its way out and be expressed. And so it was demonstrative. Worship has to look like something in our lives. And I would challenge you to look at your own life and say, how am I demonstrating worship? And I think that you should take the time to maybe ask your spouse, how could I show you affection better? How could, uh, boy, I'm just, I feel like this might be a God moment. An assignment to go home. Maybe ask your spouse. How could I love you in a way that it speaks more clearly to you? I don't know about you, but I often show my wife love the way I want to be shown love. And because that's not on her radar, she doesn't receive it the way I would. 
is this just me? Should I just, <laughs> Rowena and I will just have a conversation here. Part of learning your spouse is quit trying to give them what you want and ask, you do this at Christmas time. I bought my wife a Walkman one time for Christmas. You, somebody like, what's a Walkman? Okay, so, <laughs> you know, it was a, a tape player with headphones back in the day where that was the coolest thing ever and it was very expensive. And deep down in, while she wasn't using it, I planned to use it. Am I the only one who's ever done this? Okay, I guess this morning is just our, our confessional. I should get a booth here and you could all be on the other side and absolve me, okay? But the truth is, it's great to find out from your spouse what they actually want. And so to, to be able to communicate them to them, well, I love it just when you spend time with me. Or I love it when you bring me a gift. Seriously, you want, you want flowers? To me, I, I personally don't want flowers. They die. What good are they? I don't want flowers, but oh man, when you touch my face, I don't know to go too far. When you put your hand on my face and you look into my eyes, I get speechless. It communicates something to me. But if you didn't know that, so Rowena takes her and she'll touch my face, and then I lose track of time and space. <laughs> Find out from your spouse what communicates affection to them. It'll help the relationship. And guess what? God's already communicated to you what he's looking for. Amen. I don't know why he likes clapping, but he does. So I clap until my hands sting. <laughs> I don't know why he likes singing, but I'm going to sing until I try to drown you out. It's not a competition, but I was winning this morning, okay? <laughs> I, 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 I want to give God the thing that he wants. Yeah. You know why? Because in giving, I receive so much more, Amen. Right. Also, their worship was directed. This will help a few of you because you're in a room with people, and while you're singing, you're just, um, you're kind of like the old cartoon where bullets, you know, there's a, the cartoon where there's, there's a, a shootout at the OK Corral, and some bullets get thrown into the fire, and then there's this make-believe situation where the bullets are shooting all over the place, right, because they caught on fire. Well, first of all, it doesn't work like that. Those, those bullets would blow off, but they're not under, under compression, so they're not going to really go anywhere. But sometimes our worship is not directed. You know, when you come into the room, you're like, I, I'm not experiencing, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not unlocking any door. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm singing. Ain't nothing happening. Well, if you're just singing along, if you're just praying along, if you're just celebrating along, you're going to find it's like the bullets that don't hit a target. Yeah. But when you look at the scripture here, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to whom? To the, with the worship leader, with the band, with everybody else. That might be true. But they had a very direct direction on where they were focused as they sat there singing together. They weren't singing to one another. They directed their worship to heaven. Some of the value for me closing my eyes, I get really distracted. Right? I, I, and, and, and so I close my eyes so often during worship, but I, as tough as it is, I am peering beyond this earth as I sing this song, not with you, I'm singing it to him. Yeah. So that when I say, oh, gosh, this is an old song, but I exalt thee, it is, I am positioning myself in front of God, saying, I exalt you. If I was saying to my wife right now, I love you. Oh, I love you, Rowena. Oh, I love you, Rowena. Or I walk over and I engage with her and I say, I love you. 
there's a different level of something else happens. And when you direct your affection correctly, appropriately, if your worship is to God, if your singing is to God, if your prayer is not just so everyone else will hear you, but your prayer is directed at God, there's going to be a response. And so I would challenge you to do that. Uh, fourth is their worship was in spite of. You know, there's a lot of pushback. There's a lot of things that makes worship less conducive. I mean, let's be honest. We, we, uh, those of you who are gathered this morning, you have masks on. It is difficult for you to worship with a mask on, and yet you're doing it. There's things that are going to push back against your worship, and we fight against those things, and it's in spite of. I can worship wonderfully. A nice, if the temperature is just right in the room, if the lights are just dim perfectly, if it's the right song, if they're building it up to the right spot when we're coming into the chorus, I can feel it deep within my soul, and, and I'm able to just under the right conditions. Or in the shower, which is an excellent place, I sound angelic. But you're going to find that there's going to be less than desirable moments. And what I love about the story is in the less than desirable moment, in spite of, these guys had just been beat up that day. It's been a little while since I've been beat up, but my first thing I wanted to do when I got home from being beat up was not worship God. Right? I mean, you, you probably feel beat up emotionally, maybe financially. Maybe you feel beat up just in general because of all that you've been through. And in spite of it, they pressed in. They're shackled. Their, their feet are locked in stocks. They're, they're sitting on the ground. They cannot move. And yet they say, you know what? In spite of it, some of the greatest worship you will ever offer to God will be in the in spite of moments. I, I, I can worship. You know, I worship God when that check comes in. Man, I, I get a little, little crazy charismatic shuffle going on. You go to the mailbox, unexpected check. You're like, woo! It's easy. Thank you, Lord. But how... Does it come from you to heaven when you have nothing and yet you're still able to push out that worship towards God in spite of worship? It's in spite of my circumstances, in spite of the difficulties, in spite of all of the things pushing back against me, I'm still going to focus my attention on God and worship him. Finally, uh, they recognize that they did have an audience. And I think that's an important thing for you to to recognize, important thing for you to understand that when we worship demonstratively and especially in public, there are people watching. And though you're never worshiping for their sake, your worship will always impact the people who are within the proximity of you. Yeah. Last week, it was really powerful in our, uh, our, our, 11, 15, our 11 o'clock gathering. There's this dad who would normally be fairly reserved in his worship, but man, God just really helping him to unlock that. And I watched as his youngest daughter, because you can see everything from up here. This is great. It's like being on a mountain, just watching what's going on. Daughter standing next to her, arms locked around his leg and her other hand up in the air like this, probably about five years old. Her dad's worship impacting her worship. What he was doing, stirring within her a confidence, a, a beauty, amen? Why don't you stand with me? I'm going to read you a final scripture. Um, this is a, a quote I've got for you. It just simply says that while God's presence is everywhere, and hopefully you understand that. You know that when you read the Psalms, the Bible says, where can I go to flee from your presence? If I, if I ascend to the heavens, you're there. 
If I make my bed in the pit of Sheol or in the deepest recesses of the earth, God, you are there. And that is true. But worship actually unlocks God's manifest presence. I don't know about you. I don't always feel God's presence. Though my wife always loved me, I don't necessarily always experience that. But worship is leaning into that and opening that door so that the interaction can take place. And what God has promised is if you will push into him, he will push back into you. Now, thank God, it's not always contingent upon us. There have been these radical moments in my life, unexpectedly driving down the road. Man, God has just shown up and it's a beautiful thing. But if I limited my interactions with God to those moments, I'd be missing out on so many opportunities to see God impact my life because that skeleton key, when I unlock the door of God's presence, he's able to impact my finances, my job opportunities. Take his presence into your next interview. Take his presence into your next dialogue with your spouse. Take his presence into a time of writing checks to pay bills. Invite his presence in that moment. I mean, I'm talking about raise your hands. Begin to pray out loud, God, I welcome you to this place. God, I welcome you to my checkbook. Oh, God, you need to show up here. But I know you can. I've got some chariots. I've got some horses. But, Lord, I'm trusting you. I want you to just take your, your hand, just place it over your heart. And I just want to pray. I'll give you the opportunity here for the next couple of moments to sing this final song. But I want to challenge you to do that. Lean forward and to direct your attention, your focus on him, and, and express your heart to God. But I, I want to challenge you to express maybe some repentance. To be able to say, as you would to your spouse, I'm sorry for maybe not misunderstanding how to interact. I'm sorry maybe for not always taking the opportunity to express my affection. But oh, I love you and I want to lean farther into this relationship. Man, I want to challenge you to press in and say, God, I want to utilize this gift that's given to me. Okay, so we're going to pray over our hearts. Father, I thank you so much for your people this morning. I thank you for this opportunity that we have. God, to pray right now out loud. This is a form of worship. God, I'm, I'm praying to you. I know people can hear what I'm saying, but God, I'm talking to you. I'm stepping through this natural into the supernatural. And as sure as I'm alive, God, you are present. You are here. You are real. You hear my voice. You are moved by my expression. And God, my desire is to become more affectionate with you. God, to step in with greater strength into worship, to learn how to use this skeleton key in all areas of my life, to carry your presence in a way that unlocks closed doors as it did for Paul and Silas and everyone else in the jail that night and even the prison uh, keeper. His whole family got unlocked, God, because of two men who worshiped you. And so, Lord, I want my life to be that way, experiencing the unlock, but God also to seeing people's lives unlocked because of my worship. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. And everyone said, amen and amen. Come on. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our pastors, leaders, and what we do at C3 Church, visit our website at c3swwa.com.